This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries. Thank you for joining us this week for episode 209 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title is The Son of Humanity Comes as a Robber. Our feature text is Sagan's Gospel Q 12, 39 through 40. But know this, if the householder had known in what in which watch the robber was coming, he would not have let his house be dug into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Humanity is coming at an hour you do not expect. A companion text are Matthew 24, 43-44, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept his watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So, so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Uh, Luke 12, 39 through 40, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour which you do not expect him. In the Gospel of Thomas 21, verse 5, that is why I say when the master of the house learns that the thief is about to come, he will be on guard before he comes and will not let him break into his house his domain, and his domain to carry away his possessions. Gospel of Thomas 103, Jesus says, Blessed is the person who knows at which point of the house the robbers are going to enter, so that he may arise to gather together his domain and gird his loins before they enter. This week, I want to begin by starting off with applying this to the first coming of Jesus rather than a a future second coming. Typically, when this saying is used, in most common uh, Christian preaching today, Jesus' words here are interpreted as the prediction of his return to earth at the end of time. And remember, though, that, that, that Jesus' disciples, they didn't even understand that he was going to be taken from them, much less that he would come back at some point in the future. At this stage of the story, Jesus would have still been speaking about his unexpected emergence among the people, and not about some point in, in the far distant future. And what difference does it make to apply this saying to Jesus' first coming, uh, his, his first emergence uh, among the poor in the first century, before we jump to the Christian second coming? Let, let's first allow this saying to, to, to relate to the appearing of the Jewish Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago, and see if there's any message in that for us today, and then we can get to secondary interpretations later. So let's talk about Jesus as a thief. In our society, the haves are assumed to be the good guys, and law and order protects the haves from the have-nots who, who step outside of the, those have-nots that, that step outside of the lines that the haves have set down for them. And in this week's saying, Jesus subversively calls himself a thief whom householders need protection from. And he calls himself basically in, in society a bad guy. And, and morality is, is defined quite differently by those at the bottom and at the edges of society, and the, differently from those who are at the top or who are at the center. Uh, last month's book uh, for Renewed Heart Ministries' annual reading course, our book of the month, was James Cone's God of the Oppressed. And in this book, he described how morality functioned for black slaves in America. This is from pages 191 and 192. The grounding of Christian ethics in the oppressed community means that the oppressed cannot decide what is Christian behavior 
Intuitively and experientially, black slaves recognized this basic truth because their mental and physical survival was at stake. They rejected the white master's view of morality, but they did not reject law and morality. Rather, they formulated a new law and a new morality that was consistent with black strivings for freedom. Thus, black slaves made a distinction between stealing and taking. Stealing meant taking from a fellow slave, and ethics did not condone that. But to take from white folks was not wrong, because they were merely appropriating that which was in fact rightfully theirs. And then Cohn goes on to use illustrations from Olmsted and, and a slave named Charles, that, and then they're well worth your, your consideration if you have a copy of the book to, to, to look at that section. But consider also how the legendary Robin Hood was, was viewed by the rich and how he was viewed by the exploited poor. Um, similarly, the thief in, in Jesus in Luke, uh, he preached good news to the poor in Luke 4.18 and 6.30, and he pronounced woes and curses on the rich, Luke 6.24. And this was in keeping with the Jewish prophetic tradition. In Psalm 72.12, uh, we find this passage, for he will rescue the needy from their rich oppressors, the distressed who have no protector. He will have pity on the poor and the needy and deliver the needy from death. He will liberate them from oppression and violence, and their blood will be of high value in his eyes. Jesus's definition of wealth as, as the exploitation of the poor and, and his call for wealth redistribution, it was viewed as thievery in his day. And, and it's still viewed by theft by many wealthy people today. And I wish I had a dime for every time a well-meaning, affluent Christian responded to a presentation where I talk about wealth redistribution or the wealth redistribution that Jesus commanded, and they called it stealing from them uh, to give to, to, to those who were less, they said, were less deserving. And then test this out for yourself. Take Luke 6, uh, verse 20. And then Luke 6, 24, blessed are you who are poor and woe to you who are rich. And just post that on Facebook and see how long it takes for evangelical Christians to chime in, to qualify it, or to condition the text. They won't be able to just let the text sit there unexplained. They, they have a, a, there's a desperate need that they have to qualify or to censor uh, these sayings of Jesus. And remember, these are Christians. These are not secular or the non-religious. Jesus came preaching a new social order, a, a great reversal, or as uh, Eliza Gilkinson refers to it in her song, The Great Correction. He invited those who had a, a, a lot to, to live in sol solidarity with those who had little. And he taught them to redistribute their wealth. And, and it's, it's this idea of redistributing wealth to those who have less that was perceived as thievery. And yet here's my point. Redistribution of wealth was good news to the poor in Jesus's day. And it was viewed as stealing by the rich. And not much in regards to that has changed today. Those who are benefited and whose lives are, are bettered by domination systems, the, the haves, they don't view uh, such uh, an end as, as good news. And those on the underside of those systems and, and those that are pushed to the edges of society by those systems, though, they see this as very much good news. And in the gospel, these systems 
are replaced by a table where resources are shared, wealth is redistributed, and, and justice is, is a distributive justice where everyone has enough and no one has too much. It's a new humanity where, where people are prioritized over profit, property, possessions, power, and privilege. And today, many, both here and abroad, have suffered, and, and they are suffering, for the sake of the American dream. America is one of the wealthiest and most powerful nations in the world. And yet for, for such wealth and power, there are still 43 million people here, just here alone, who live below the poverty line. And, and the wealth disparities in American in the American population especially are, are, are vast. And today, law and order, it, it's a code phrase for systemically unjust legal systems that, that target people of color, and men especially, and it takes their lives uh, even when they've done nothing wrong. That's thievery. One example that top U.S. advisors to, to past administrations have admitted is that the war on drugs itself was created to target certain certain populations. People are targeted and arrested for nothing more than the color of their skin. And again, that is stealing. And when one adds to the unjust system, the, the capitalization of the pr prison industry and, and the free labor that benefits large corporations from an exploited prison population, one begins to see that slavery here in the U.S., it never really, it never really ended. It simply took another form. And this is a great opportunity to recommend Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. Uh, it's an excellent read if you haven't read it yet. But we we find ourselves in an exploitative system today, and, and it's a system that takes from those forced to the underside of society, and it, and it benefits those for whom the rules are shaped. And to talk about reversing the nature of things, it provokes the accusation of taking from the rich and giving to the poor or thievery. And one example that just happened this week is, is uh, socialism, which was a workers' movement, not a, 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 a lazy person or a person that does nothing's movement. It was a workers' movement. And it, it's accused of being thievery, but capitalism isn't. And even democratic forms of socialism, they're continually erased from the conversation by the haves in our society. And I'll give you a link to a story that just took place uh, where that uh, some conflict between the DNC and the, and the PSL this week that, uh, that that just went down, and you can see all the, the, the Twitter comments. But uh, I'll put a link to that in this week's e-site. But Jesus envisioned a system where the strong take care of the weak, not a world where the strong prey on the weak. Uh, but as he said, whenever the Son of Man appears in every generation, he's seen by the householders of the present system as a thief breaking in to take away their possessions. And let's talk lastly this week about expectations. I recently traced uh, this title, Son of Man, that's used in the Gospels for Jesus back to the, the Jewish apocalyptic book of Daniel, specifically chapter 7, and I'll put a link to that article uh, in this week's e-site too. But in this chapter, uh, chapter 7, uh, one like the Son of Man is given a kingdom, and it's a new social order that ends exploitative systems of domination and sub subjugation and violence. And, and to be honest, the overthrow in Daniel 7 is violent. 
And it could be argued that that the systems overthrown in this chapter are simply replaced by another subjugating domination system. And you can find that in Daniel 7, 14. Uh, And this would make perfect sense, given the historical context of those who wrote the book of Daniel. Violent overthrow was the only way they could imagine their subjugation by violent empires coming to an end. And in Jesus' own society, there were also those who, who couldn't imagine anything um, arriving uh, of, a, of a different nature. They couldn't imagine arriving at a different world in any other way than through violent uprising. But Jesus invited us into the end of domination and the end of subjugation and the end of exploitative systems, not through more domination, but in a way that was deeply unexpected. And this is the part where he comes unexpectedly. He said, sell your position, possessions and give to the poor. And we find this in, in Luke 7.33. This was good news to the poor. It, it was thievery to the householders within that society. It was counterintuitive. And it was beyond what they had imagined. This, is, this isn't what they had expected. And I imagine that many who heard Jesus could not connect the dots between following his plan and bringing about a world without domination, subjugation, and exploitation. But Jesus invited them into relationship with one another, into a community where they chose to take care of one another. And in that community, those who had a, a lot, they, they, they gave to take care of those whose needs were not being met. And as it states in Acts, all the believers were together, they had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, Acts 2, 44 through 45. And in the first century, Jesus was inviting his listeners into a new human society, a beloved community that the wealthy elites, they indicted as theft. He was calling the people to voluntarily enter into a community that he he felt could avoid the Gehenna that they were headed towards. And if they chose relationship, they could avoid the uprising of the exploited and and a war against Rome and and the utter destruction of Jerusalem that history now tells us was only three decades ahead of them at that time. And the result of ignoring Jesus' call to wealth redistribution and reparations for past exploitations, it came in 66 to 70 CE when the exploited poor in Judea, they rose up, they, they drove out the wealthy elites from the temple And then they proceeded to take up arms even against Rome itself. And then Rome put that rebellion down, uh, uh, what began as a poor people's rebellion, in a way that left nothing for anyone. It was complete destruction for everyone, rich and poor alike. And revolts and revolutions don't always come. Oppressed communities, they don't always rise up. Sometimes they just give up. And there aren't always third parties like Rome that that come in and wipe out everyone. But I still wonder what lies ahead of us today that we could avoid with the choices that we're making today. What lies on our horizon? What will be the result of our environmental abuses that are driven by greed? What will be the result of our our military-backed economic exploitations of, of countries abroad? What will be the result of our our exploitation of the lower and middle classes here in the U.S.? What will be the result of our refusal to make reparations for our deeply racist past? 
What will be the result of our racist law and order system today, our unjust criminal justice system? And what will be the result of our classism, our racism, our sexism, our cis-heterosexism, militarism, our, our corporatism? If Jesus walked the U.S. streets today, what would he see on America's horizon? And, and who would he be calling us into relationship and community and solidarity with? What redistribution of wealth and power in favor of those on the undersides and edges of our society would he be calling us to voluntarily embrace? Even if one only considers the environmental impact alone, it would be much less catastrophic to embrace our interconnectedness today and to enter into community with the people that we share this planet with and with whom we call Earth home uh, today. We're in this together. We are each other's fate, and the choice is ours. Sayings Gospel Q 12, 39 through 40. But know this, if the householder had known in which watch the robber was coming, he would not have let his house be dug into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Humanity is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Heart group application this week, Jesus' gospel, remember, it calls us repeatedly to look at the world through the lens of those on the undersides and on the edges of our societies. And this past week, it marks the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And one of the news outlets that I follow this week played a portion of of the sermon that King gave one year before his assassination uh, beyond Vietnam, written by Vincent Harding. So number one this week, as a group, I want you to read the entire transcript of of this sermon given by King. And I'll put a link to it in our e-site. And then number two, considering this week's saying and and its historical context, its original historical context. There's a statement that leaps out from the transcript of King's sermon, and I'll read it here. It is with such activity that the words of the late John F. Kennedy come back to haunt us. Five years ago, he said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolutions inevitable, increasingly by our choice or by accident. This is the role our nation has taken, the role of those who make peaceful revolution impossible by refusing to give up the privileges and the pleasures that come from the immense profits of overseas investments. I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. So my question this week is, what does engaging the work of transitioning from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society, what does that look like in your area? Which local organizations can you partner with? Here in West Virginia, our work may look very differently from the work in other states, for example. But we have the same isms that exist everywhere else nationwide, but they work uniquely in Appalachia from how they express themselves in larger cities. And then number three, pick one of these options that you discovered this week, and as a group, put it into practice. Uh, Thank you, each of you, once again, for checking in with us this week. And also at the end here, I want to take a a moment just to thank all of you who support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. It's people like you who enable us to exist and to be a positive resource in our world and the work of survival and resistance and liberation and restoration and transformation. And if you're new to Renewed Heart Ministries, we're a not-for-profit group informed by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jesus, uh, the Jewish Jesus 
of Nazareth, and we're passionate about centering our values and ethics and the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our societies. And, and you can find out more of us by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Who is RHM uh, link at the top left. And everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, remember, is done with the purpose of making all of our resources as free as humanly possible. But to do so, we need the help of people like you. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of our homepage, or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And, And also remember... Make sure you sign up for our free resources. Uh, the, all the sign up is on our website. Uh, we have monthly newsletters. We have so much on the on the website that you can sign up for. And remember, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. There's so many avenues to take advantage uh, of all that we're offering. But remember, everything we do here again is for free, and all of your support helps. Anything we receive beyond our annual budget, uh, we also pass on to other nonprofits, making systemic and personal differences in the lives of the those left privilege in the status quo. And for those of you who are once again already supporting our work, thank you so much. Together, we are making a difference, making our world a safer, just, more compassionate home for all of us. Remember, keep living in love. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. (music) 